Hi, everybody. In today's episode, I got to interview Han, who's a commercial archaeologist, and she has a few really cool and really interesting um, specialties she worked on while at uni. So I hope you enjoy her story. Hey, everybody. This is Throw Me in a Ditch, an archaeology podcast. I'm your host, Annabelle, and I'm here today with field archaeologist Han. Hey. How do you do today? Not so bad. Not so bad? Okay. So what do you do for a living? Uh, I dig holes in the ground. You dig holes in the ground? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I draw pretty pictures of the holes. You do draw very nice pictures <laughs> of the very... They're like, they should be like in art museums and galleries and stuff like that. Mine should not be. It is my favorite part of the job when I get a complex enough feature that I can do really pretty features with loads of different fills and the yeah. stones and everything. Yeah, I need a continue to work and improve on my drawings because they are not great i don't know if i've ever seen any of yours okay but... they're not not great yeah but they're not at your level i mean i've done a graphic design course though Ooh. so i feel i may have a slight advantage here because i specifically okay. have been taught how to do technical drawing oh that's cool okay <laughs> that's dope mm-hmm. so you dig holes you're mm-hmm. an archaeologist mm-hmm. how did you first hear about archaeology um so the origin of all of this is my mum encouraged me to do extra work outside of class mm-hmm. uh, my mum was usually big on me not having additional pressures because of my autism okay. she actively banned me from doing ballet as a small Ooh. girl i was devastated by this okay uh, yeah she was like no you're not doing extracurriculars you're going to get home and rest reading really enlightened like the lord intended you to okay um but one time, one yeah. time, she found out the next time we were going to be doing an Egyptology course. Cool. I was seven, I was eight when I started the course. Oh, cool. And she was like, why don't we, were in the library, why don't we go and check out some of the Egyptology books? Mm-hmm. So we did, and I just got so into it. Yeah. Like, I absolutely loved it. My mum was recording cool. documentaries for me. She was giving yeah. me um, the Reader's Digest magazine with oh, articles cool. on Egyptology and the National yeah. Geographics. And... I was just like, I love this. This is the good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's dope. Yeah. And then we did the actual course. And Mm -hmm. I don't know who designed this, but Mm -hmm. they went into a level of detail that meant I knew most of my first year at uni already at eight. That's impressive. (laughs) Yeah. What? They would literally, they would give us printouts of... Yeah. You know, the line art drawings of the Egyptian wall paintings. Yeah. And they would explain, like, every component of the painting, what it meant, what it symbolized, the way that they would in a uni course. So there are just a bunch of eight-year-olds wandering (laughs) wandering around London (laughs) in the early 2000s who knew how to analyze Egyptian (laughs) art to a university level, and I love that for us. That's great. I do love that for you and that entire group. That's amazing. (laughs) You're like... Have, like, an adult or someone being like, oh, I wonder what that says. And a little eight-year-old you being like, it says that. Yeah. That's yeah. dope. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was when you were eight. Yeah. And that was the first time in my life that I'd realized what? that human, the mm-hmm. human past, in the deep past, could be as yeah. interesting as the animal deep past, because I previously wanted to be a paleontologist. Mood. Yeah. Yes. What's your favorite dinosaur? Allosaurus. Allosaurus. That's a good dinosaur. That's a good dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I too want to be a paleontologist mm. for a bit. Yeah. Mm. Someone yeah. on a site I was on recently found a 
dinosaur vertebrae yeah. just in one of their pits and I got to hold it and even though it's been years since I seriously considered paleontology yeah. I was just so excited <laughs> just holding this vertebrae I was like this is the best day of my life it was so good yeah wow, yeah. that's awesome yeah so you took Egyptology when you're eight mm. between the ages of eight and uni so I started 19, 19 19 did you take any other like courses similar to it so when I was around 14, um, mm -hmm. my dad was like, you should start thinking about what you want to do in the future because yeah. it's much better to do something like if I do a vocational course at university mm -hmm. than to just do some random thing and find yourself stuck in consultancy okay. um, because you have like an English literature degree and it's functionally useless. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So um, my dad himself did vocational um, transport Oh, so cool. he's big into like that kind of training okay. so I was thinking I was walking around yeah. and I was thinking what job do I actually want to do because I knew one thing and I knew that I did mm. not want to work in an office I knew that it would kill yeah. me in three days like the sheer boredom oh, no. so I was like I definitely I want to be outdoors I yeah. love being outdoors um my first thought was shepherding that's a mood I told my mom mom I want to be a shepherd and she was like no sheep are too boring you would be too bored you have too much of a brain you should not go near the sheep and I was devastated by this. So um, I was like, well, I've, I guess I used to be into archaeology. Haven't okay. thought about it in a while. It got overtaken as a special interest by the BBC Robin Hood. But um, <laughs> I remember that show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I started thinking about archaeology again. And my dad was like, why don't we try out one of those one day little research digs that members Ooh. of the public can do for fun? Yeah. So I tried that. It was on a Roman villa in an undeclosed secret location in Wiltshire. Cool. It was absolutely amazing. It's one of the coolest sites I've ever been on. The full footprint of this yeah. villa was preserved. It had like oh. a grain dryer attached to it that was fully <laughs> preserved. So cool. It was amazing. Yeah. And it was a beautiful sunny day. Um, my dad met a guy from Yeovil who he impressed by actually knowing where Yeovil was and having been before. <laughs> um, so we made friends with that okay. guy. So yeah, it gave me a really, really good impression of what archaeology was. So my dad was like, right, I'm doing the research and you can do a week-long training course mm -hmm. that then gives you a certificate that means you can work on any research dig in the UK. And I was like, okay, you can do that at 15. He was like, you can do that at 15. So I went to do my certificate. There are a number of places you can do it. And um, we were on this little site in Durham yeah. that had been recorded in the Victorian era by a Victorian archaeologist oh, no. as a Roman bathhouse. They had stripped this site yeah. and what he had recorded as a bathhouse mm -hmm. was a singular wall and an Anglo-Saxon sunken featured building. I love that for the Victorians. There was nothing else <laughs> on the entire site. There was a Roman road at one end and that was it. How did they get bathhouse? I have no clue. Like the level of imaginative extrapolation that was going on there is beyond anything I've ever witnessed in an archaeologist. That's actually really impressive. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. So okay. I spent my second week yeah. in archaeology troweling in the mud. What turned <laughs> out, we did actually find something really interesting though. Yeah. Because um, we were turning up copper slag Mm -hmm. every few strokes okay they we were small finding it and yeah. it meant that we were getting up to go to the hut and do the small find every five minutes oh, there was so oh. much copper on this site that we reckon yeah. 
we had to have been really nearby somewhere they were actually smelting it. Yeah. Um, and potentially we're in some kind of marketplace area. Oh, that's cool. So we just managed to hit, we mm. just managed to hit the one like open space in mm. what would probably have actually been quite a built up area. But yeah. the problem is it's still built up. There's still buildings oh, and things okay. on top of the rest. So you have this small window we could excavate in. Yeah. Um, and it was pouring with rain. And the site was deemed too delicate to wheelbarrow on, so we had to transport all the soil by bucket. And I had no gloves because I hadn't realized at that stage that they actually make archaeological gloves small enough to fit my hands. Because oh, no. <laughs> I have tiny baby hands. <laughs> I was like six foot tall, but I have tiny baby hands. Um, and so I was just getting like covered in mud, absolutely yeah. soaking wet. And I thought to myself, yeah, I still want to do this every day for the rest of my life. And that's okay. why new archaeology was going to work for me. That's awesome. I yeah. love that. Um, what's your uni background? What'd you do? So, you um, I always knew that I wanted to go to Cambridge. Okay. Uh, my dad took me there when I was five for, he was on some kind of theological conference. Oh, cool. And I, I was just wandering around. I was like, this is so mm-hmm. pretty. Yeah. And I love the fact that everyone say, here is saying it's the best uni in the world. It's, yeah. Harvard, I think, would contest this. But yeah. anyway, I was, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was vibing. I was yeah. like, yeah, I want to go to the best uni in the world. Okay. It's a pretty medieval place. I didn't tell anybody this. Okay. I thought I told anybody this. Yeah. But I eventually bought this out when I was like 12. Mm-hmm. And I was in some kind of, I was in my interview for, um, to get into my middle school. Okay. And um, my dad was, the, was there and my mum was there. So mm-hmm. to have like the moral support. And the interviewer asked me, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do in my career yet, but I know I want to go to Cambridge. <laughs> and the interviewer turns to my dad and says, did you put her up to this? And my dad is like, this is the first time I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> like surprise yeah so that's one of the reasons that things that pushed me to do archaeology for certain actually because okay. I think if I'd had the option to do fine art I might mm-hmm. have gone for that but Cambridge doesn't yeah. offer fine art it only offers a oh. very 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 narrow range of courses you can do about like 20 really yeah okay and I knew I wanted to go there so I was like archaeology it is then oh, that's pretty cool yeah Awesome. Yeah. So just your bachelor's? Did you do just bachelor's and master's? Yeah, bachelor's and then... So Cambridge, you do a three-year course that gives you your bachelor's and your MA. Oh, that's cool. And then you can do an additional year or in my case, two years Mm because I have to extend it for an MPhil. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And it kind of, it pipelines you really nicely. So it makes it super easy if you've been on the MA, on the BA MA to get into the MPhil. Okay. Um. So it wasn't like super stressful or anything to continue. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, what you um study? Like, what was your main focus? Um. So when I went there, I just knew I was generally interested in Egyptology and mm-hmm. in the Anglo-Saxon because okay. in the years since Dorchester, I have been yeah. working on my summers on an Anglo-Saxon site um, oh, cool. called Sedgford. Yeah. Um, which I had absolutely loved. I got really interested in Anglo-Saxon, like, built archaeology, the, the yeah. longhouses. We had some corn dryers there. Um, the site was super interesting because it was, like, collective corn dryers. So, you know, mm-hmm. everyone was bringing their grain and, like, having, like, a collective resource yeah. um, processing, which is super interesting. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, I might want to do more of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I get there, and I found out... I find out um, it was in 
how did this happen? How did this first happen? It was in my second year, I think. Okay. It wasn't my first year. Anyway, mm-hmm. they, they tell us we have to do um, object research projects. Okay. So we have That's to cool. pick an artifact and find out mm-hmm. everything we can about it mm-hmm. and write an essay mm-hmm. um, in the style of a published article on an object. Oh, that's cool. And they showed us some examples. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't know what to pick on it because, like I said, I've been into, like, built archaeology, like landscapes, yeah. Stonehenge, village structures, that kind of thing. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what's interesting about objects? Yeah. And then I was in uh, in the Cambridge Archaeology Museum, down, mm-hmm. down in the archives. They were showing us some stuff. And I saw this little box on the side. Yeah. And I was like, what was that? And they were like, oh, this has just been brought in. We don't actually know what it is yet. But we know it's an Anglo-Saxon brooch, but it's not like any other Anglo-Saxon brooch you've ever seen. Yeah. And I look at this thing. Mm-hmm. It's about five centimetres across, I'd say. It's okay. very small. Black copper alloy metal with a pattern of silver studs on it and yeah. engraved interlocking circles. Uh, like a bit like a witch mark, if you know what those okay. are. And I just fall completely in love with this object. Yeah. I'm like, I want to write yeah. about this. I know everything. Well, I know everything about this. I love the fact that it's unique. Mm. So I um, really put all of my energy into that research project, and I found out um, that this brooch was probably designed as a mimic of a Mm. very, very high status class of brooch um, that has these incredibly intricately decorated um, crosses made of interlocking circles. Um, They're usually, the English and Scandinavian ones are usually made in Mm. silver, um, engraved silver, and the European ones are usually made in gold um, with like gemstones set in them or... um, the inlay, the coloured inlay. Mm-hmm. And it's a design that originates in post-Roman Byzantium. <laughs> Whoa. And spreads oh, cool. north all the way across Europe Whoa. to Britain and Scandinavia. Yeah. And one of the most interesting parts about this is it spreads faster than Christianity does. Mm-hmm. So we reckon it would have originally designed as a Christian motif. Yeah. Um, because the way the circles and the studs intersect kind of okay. forms a shape like a studded cross okay um similar to the one that you're wearing but symmetrical um and but by the time it got to europe to northern europe it was a pagan symbol exactly the same but its meaning had been transformed because your christianity wouldn't hit there for another like yeah a little while or so wow that's interesting yeah that's really cool so that's how i found out that i wanted to specialize in jewelry and religious symbolism (laughs) which i then did for the next three years oh that's cool yeah so would you say that object is the coolest thing you encountered while like working in school i think it's one of the coolest things i encountered yeah Yeah, the other one if i had to say would be the second object that i fell in love with um part of the collection of unique objects mm-hmm. I end up researching was what I will always call the melon jar. So um, <laughs> right. if you know anything about ancient Egyptian glassware, you'll know it's mm-hmm. usually in the New Kingdom glassware, it's usually the form of these jars that have like a smooth curved surface okay. um, and are sort of marbled in colours of white, yellow, blue, mm-hmm. turquoise, brown and black. Um, and cool. all of the colours kind of like swirl into each other, very mm-hmm. pretty. 
So I see this jar. It's completely plain. Yeah. It's yellow and it's shaped like like a um, honeydew melon. <laughs> okay. It's just in the record for one pharaoh's tomb. Yeah. Nothing written about it. it has all of these symbols round the sides. And yeah. I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, I am desperate to find out what this is. So yeah. I'm combing through um, like Victorian Egyptology books on okay. symbolism and stuff. Yeah. And this was when, this is when I first started um looking outside of conventional modern academic texts for my research okay um because there is so much knowledge that mm -hmm. is has been lost to conventional mm -hmm. academia that still exists in the world of online paganism okay um modern your average modern pagan website will contain more useful information than mm -hmm. your average sort of published academic text on this okay. very narrow field of religious symbolism not in general yeah. but specifically about this because what okay. people do is is they read undiscerningly mm -hmm. they're super interested in religion and spirituality so they're not looking for a recognized academic source they're looking for something that they can connect to so they read the victorian texts okay and they find out these things that the victorian yeah. researchers knew the meanings of these symbols okay and they kind of keep them alive cool um so yeah, I found out that this thing, um, this jar, mm -hmm. had various resurrection symbols around it. Um, oh, so cool. the symbol of an opening water lily. Yeah. Um, water lilies are super, super common in Egyptian art, but they're usually seen from the side. Mm -hmm. The rarer form, whether they're seen from the top, yeah. um, is a specifically a resurrection symbol. Oh. Um, no, no, back in the Victorian era, I wouldn't find it in a modern text. Mm -hmm. um, and then it also has crosses on the side, which are, again, mm. they're a sun symbol, they're a resurrection symbol. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this jar was, I think, I can't remember exactly what form it was copying now, mm -hmm. but I'm going to put my money on it. was something Mediterranean, okay. potentially like Cypriot or something like that. These metal, yeah. okay. melon-shaped fluted vessels. Mm -hmm. So it was someone copying a foreign form into a local yeah. material and decorating it with a mixture of the local lotus yeah. symbol and the more general Middle Eastern cross symbol oh, that's really cool. to create this completely unique hybrid yeah. object. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. The merging of cultures. Mm -hmm. So, went over academic background, research. You dig holes now. I dig holes now. You dig holes now. How, why, why, how, was there a reason why you went from research to digging holes? So I got super burnt out during mm -hmm. my during my final few months of my MPhil. Oh my god, you too! <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had to have yeah. an extension, but during the extension, the way yeah. I was working was um, I'd get up at 12 midday, mm -hmm. I would watch BBC Parliament with my dad during the <laughs> afternoon and sort of make sarcastic remarks. Okay. Um, and then I'd eat dinner with my parents and watch TV with them. And then once they'd gone okay. to bed, I would start working. I'd work through the night until 6am yeah. and then I'd go to sleep. Okay. And this was the only sustainable way I could figure out how to work. Mm -hmm. But it was understandably quite draining and I was like... Uh -huh. I don't think I'm going to go on to do a PhD until my mental health is in a slightly better place. So I yeah. don't have to actually be a vampire in order to get work done. I got that. Um, so yeah, I had a super, I had a super fun time in my MPhil. Okay. Um, I did it on bear myths. Ooh. Specifically, I did it on the myth of um, women who marry bears. 
Um, oh. Sometimes people come up to me and be like, so, so that's, that's a symbolic marriage, right? That's just like a spiritual thing. It's not mm -hmm. a note. And they produce hybrid bear women children. What? Yeah. That's interesting. This is a recurrent myth that exists um, all the way from Scandinavia, which is mm -hmm. my main area of study, um, through northern Russia, um, northern Japan, northern Korea, and then into the indigenous cultures <laughs> of the Americas. What? Um, there are very, very many modifications on this myth yeah but yeah the recurrent theme is this relationship between a woman and a bear sometimes it's conceived as conceptual yeah um but it usually produces some kind of um offering that's for the protection of the community sometimes medicine but often this hybrid bear human child who oh. becomes a defender figure that's cool is incredibly cool i love this story i was okay. very happy to spend two years writing about this story yeah um but I was not very happy to not have a normal sleep schedule anymore. Yeah. Um, so try to get a job. Mm -hmm. I had had at that point, I had a very bad experience in commercial archaeology during uni. Okay. Um, I had really not enjoyed it at all to the extent that mm -hmm. I decided I never wanted to work in field archaeology ever again. Okay. Um, I have since realized that this was not so much the fault of the field archaeology in general yeah but the problem was one i didn't have warm enough clothing oh no oh no was this during the winter this was april in ely which is Ooh. basically the same as antarctica okay um right. two i was not working with a great company mm. all right and three i was having a major anxiety attack and ocd episode at the time um and it may have unfairly clouded my judgment of the okay. situation yeah um so yeah i spent a year trying to find non-archaeology jobs okay um consider getting a job at hampton court palace i Ooh. still think that would have been quite fun yeah um i didn't get it mm -hmm. um but i got to an interview stage that allowed me to walk around the palace on my own <laughs> after all of the visitors had gone and stand chatting with this lovely old dude who was a tour guide for yeah. a couple of hours and oh, share his cool. stories and um, do a presentation to a bunch of, of the other um, interviewees on mm -hmm. Anacles, which is super interesting Ooh. to research. Um, so yeah, it was a really enjoyable experience to interview yeah. for that job, but I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. um, didn't really know what else I wanted to do. Started looking at museums, even though mm -hmm. never really been drawn to museum work. Okay. Um, found out that <laughs> with um, three degrees from Cambridge University, yeah, the best job you can get in museum work with yeah. no experience, yeah, is moving boxes around. Oh no! <laughs> oh man! So I was gonna apply for some box moving jobs no. anyway because <laughs> I just didn't know what else to do with myself. And then I was saved yeah. by this international pandemic you may or may not have heard oh, no. of called COVID-19. Oh, man. Um, so I spent a year <laughs> being unemployed while COVID was happening. Yeah. And then um, we went to stay once the restrictions had lifted. We went to stay with my granddad, in, um, not my granddad, my uncle in Wales. Okay. Um, and at the time I was still... My anxiety and depression was still very bad. I'd mm -hmm. recovered a bit from the big attack that I'd had during my MPhil, but I was still in a yeah. fairly terrible place. Um, 
And one day I was sitting inside, I didn't want to go outside, I was quite agoraphobic mm -hmm. um, during this period, it was raining, and I suddenly got this like itching, like mm -hmm. this urge inside of me to go outside. Yeah. And I go outside into the rain and I realise I'm not mad about the rain anymore. That's good. And then I get this itching, I'm wandering around a bit, I get this itching that I want to work, like physically okay. with my hands, which I haven't wanted to do yeah. ever since the traumatic experience in commercial. So I yeah. go up to my uncle and I'm like, uncle, give me some work to do. And he's like, <laughs> well, you can shift some rocks in the quarry. We need, yeah. we need this hole I tried to dig filled in. Um, so I'm shifting rocks in the quarry and the yeah. rain and I'm like, I love this. I'm better. <laughs> I've recovered from whatever happened to me in Ely. I'm ready yes. to go forth and apply for commercial archaeology jobs. So you do commercial? Yeah. You work outside now? Mm-hmm. All weather conditions. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite season to work in? I really love um, the first half of winter, actually. So okay. the sort of period through from the end of September to kind yeah. of December. Okay. Because it's cold but it's not so cold or winter usually mm -hmm. that I'm cold so I'm warm and cozy in my nice big coat and mm -hmm. I've got the cool air on my face okay it's usually not too rainy um so and it's just amazing to get to sight and you see the sun the sun rising and yeah. all of the colors and then you get the sunset in the afternoon yeah. and you get that incredible winter quality of the light um where everything looks kind of golden and blue and it's it's amazing yeah that's true that is true mm -hmm. what's your favorite temperature my ideal digging temperature is 17 degrees that's very specific <laughs> incredibly specific yeah okay but i've been doing this for three years now so okay i i have some very specific likes okay. and dislikes yeah how do you feel about um the rain and the mud because you said earlier, you could, when you were like a kid, you were like, mmm. I, <laughs> I like the rain if it's warm. Okay. So if it's not too cold, if I'm not cold, then yeah. I can handle being rained on. If it's rainy and cold, or worse, rainy and cold and windy, I am not happy. Okay. Um, right. But yeah, one of my favorite things to happen in archaeology, actually, is when you're working on a really, really cold summer day, and you're starting to get super, yeah. like, sweaty and tired, and the heavens just open, and I'm just standing yeah. there, like, with my arms oh, out, yeah. like, in the Titanic movie. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, yes! Um, one time I was doing this, and I looked over at my friend, yeah. and he was just hunched over with, like, his arms drowned, <laughs> looking like the most miserable little drowned gerbil of a guy, oh. and I was like, you're not enjoying this, then? And he was like, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Alright, so... Sort of goes along the lines of, you know, being influenced by archaeology and everything like that. Do you have, like, a fictional, like, archaeologist, historian, anyone like that, that you enjoyed watching growing up, like, the shows or their movies or anything like that? Um, not really. I know it's kind of blasphemy, but I actually really hate Indiana Jones. <laughs> I tried, I tried watching the first movie and... I just really did not like anything about it. Okay. How do you feel about Harrison Ford's portrayal? Oh, God. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I am so sick of people asking me if I like go into temples and collect artifacts and things. Yeah, yeah, that's a move. It is my least favorite thing to be asked as like an introductory question, sort yeah. of. Oh, you're an archaeologist. Does that mean blah blah blah? My mm-hmm. favorite one, my favorite one by far is, oh, you're an archaeologist. Is that something to do with the study of architecture? Oh, I, I haven't gotten that one yet. <laughs> yeah, I got that one a lot, especially at Cambridge. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I usually get the two mixed up with paleontology, so it's like, oh, like what dinosaurs? And I'm like, yeah. I, I don't. I get that one occasionally, but the architecture one more. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Is there, like, a real-life archaeologist that has had an influence over you in any... Yes, but I think he's been cancelled. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Um, I watched um, a Zahi Hawass documentary oh, when I was eight. Oh, <laughs> same. <laughs> that I really, really loved and I really liked. I loved the sort of enthusiasm in which he talked about it, Egyptology. Yeah. Like, it clearly wasn't just academic to him. He made it feel like magic. Yeah. And I loved that. And I was so into that. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, because back home, he had, he was, like, featured in, like, a bunch of, like, Egyptology and archaeology mm. documentaries on History Channel. And he had his own show. Mm. I was like, yes, I would love to do that. Um, yeah. Hopefully slightly less problematically. I really hope okay. this guy hasn't been cancelled. Oh, we'll find um, out. But I love John <laughs> Robb. Um, he is a um, European specialist archaeologist. Mm-hmm. He taught us the Neolithic stuff at Cambridge. Oh, cool! And I love his approach to the subject. Yeah, it is very um, secret third option. Okay, like he will he will present various arguments and then be like, "This is how everybody else is wrong." <laughs> and my that. way is right. <laughs> And the stuff he comes out with, it's genuinely, it's very, very good because um, he is part of a group of archaeologists mm. who are trying to escape the dichotomy of processual versus post-processual archaeology. Okay. And kind of go back almost to the way archaeology was done in the sort of the culture history mm. era with like focus on objects and okay. object life histories, object relations, the way objects symbolize people, but yeah. informed by mm-hmm. the scientific nature of processualism and oh. the postmodern thought inherent in post-processualism. Yeah. Um, so it's like going, okay, what have we learned from this? Mm-hmm. How do we go back and apply this to the way mm. we study artifacts? Okay. And sort of take this from being this big theoretical debate in archaeology and yeah. basically channeling everything into material culture theory and mm-hmm. expanding that. Oh, I really cool. hope I've explained this well. I'm not going to get a phone call from John in like <laughs> a month's time, like being, what have you done? I'll be like, that is not what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Do you have any media, like non-fiction, so like magazines, TV shows, movies, anything like that, that you've seen recently or you would recommend to people who would like to get in, like more interested and learn more about archaeology or Egyptology? 
I do do I do your research in my spare time. Okay. Um, but what I research now is um, fashion history. That's it. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, I got really into that around my first year of uni. Okay. And um, yeah, it's um one of my favorite things to learn about. Um, sort of historical garment construction. Yeah. Um, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I really love it. Yeah, I don't really have any nonfiction. I just read pirate books now. I'm going back to my roots of cowboys and pirates. <laughs> like, yes. Incidentally, I'd like I'd like to do a shout out. Um, do it. So, to the person who wrote the book, everything that's wrong with the Da Vinci Code, <laughs> and included on page three, you can't study symbology at the University of Cambridge. I have an MPhil on symbology that I got from the University of Cambridge. So eat my shorts. <laughs> you know the page number. I was very annoyed by that oh, book. Oh man. I read it in a secondhand bookshop in Paris. Oh my god. When I was like 17 or something, yeah. I think. Okay. And at the time I didn't I didn't process it because okay. I hadn't gone to I hadn't gone to uni then yeah. obviously, and then I went to uni, and then one day I basically had the kind of sitting full top writing bed experience of wait <laughs> that was wrong. You're like wait a second, it's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> okay, yeah. Do you have any advice for people who want to get involved in archaeology? Um. Try it out first. Try it out. Um, do do get a certificate that allows you to work on research digs. Do do it until you've done it in the rain. Yeah. I will forever be telling people the horror story of the guy who found out a year into his archaeology uni course that he cannot stand rain or mud. Because oh. he would never done the trial dig before. It was his first ever dig he'd worked on he'd already been studying it a year and he realized he hated archaeology that poor man yeah i think you have to be passionate about Mm. archaeology Mm. in order to Mm. like do it kind of thing Mm. if you could describe archaeology how would you describe it i i like describing archaeology as an act of empathy with the past okay um i think i not everyone is going to view it this way, but when I dig, it's because I want to get a feel of what it was like mm-hmm. to live in that time period. That's what is exciting me. Everything we find yeah. out about a site mm-hmm. helps us build up a picture of what it was like physically to live in that space, um, mm-hmm. how people would have moved around it, what kind of size their houses were, yeah. how close they were to each other, mm-hmm. and all of that kind of thing helps us to... Um, sort of bring the past back to life again but in not not in like the historic reconstruction this is what we think it was like sense mm-hmm. as in this is the actual physical space this is the actual yeah. demarcation the boundaries the entries and exit ways mm-hmm. um yeah cool. do you have anything else you would like to say to the world about anything i guess not anything <laughs> within the parameters of this podcast. <laughs> Don't believe anyone who tells you that archaeology is unbiased or can be unbiased or is supposed to be unbiased. You bring your yes. own world view with you into archaeology. And 
yeah, you cannot come in neutral. You, certain things are going to resonate with you. You're going to respond in certain ways. You're going to um, be tempted to like certain explanations over others. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way to come out of that is not to try and create this sense of false neutrality, but instead, I think, to try and write from the perspective of the people that you're excavating. Okay. Um, this is my fav- favourite way of writing archaeology, is as if you believe in what the people believed in. Cool. Write yeah. as though you really do believe that there are ghosts in the mm-hmm. desert of Egypt that might come into your house and curse you uh. by in laying on top of you during your sleep. No, thank you. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't write as though from a position of skepticism. Yeah. Write as though that. it was real and think about how that would influence the way you view the world. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to my little itty bitty podcast. It was my pleasure. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed Han's story. If you enjoyed it, give us a follow on Twitter or X at DitchPod. And, you know, if you have any cool archaeology news or anything like that, feel free to email at ditchpod at gmail.com. Once again, remember, guys, stay hydrated and be a sponge. Thank you.